Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Unbashful. This is episode 43, 44, pardon me. And I want to thank you very much for stopping by here today. We are going to kick today's episode off with the James Gunn and Peter Safran DC News. So last uh, last podcast, last episode, I talked a lot about DC. I talked about their direction. I talked about their identity. And I basically expressed a lot of my issues that I had with them as of recently. Um, but I also talked about how the future could be bright, maybe, possibly. Shortly after that episode, in fact, while I was editing it, the the news about James Gunn and Peter Safran dropped, and it kind of made me question if I should have if I should have even dropped the episode, if I should have maybe took that take out and and and, and redid it and and added that news. But I decided to put it up anyways because I felt that there was enough content in there that was still relevant enough for a discussion. So I kept it in there, but. I've been now looking forward to collecting my thoughts and, and, and looking it over, and now we're going to talk about it. So before we get into that, for those of you who aren't familiar with what I'm talking about right now, let's just read a quote from Variety that kind of summarizes this news. So it says here, James Gunn and Peter Safran have been tapped as co-chairman and co-CEOs of DC Studios, a newly created production entity that will oversee DC properties for Warner Brothers Discovery. That, of course, comes from Variety. Um, so basically, more or less, uh, DC has found their Kevin Feige, if you will. Um, a lot of There's been a lot of names thrown around in this role, in this position, Um Mostly names that I hadn't ever heard of, and mostly names that, after I did my research, a lot of these people were just mostly producers. They didn't really know uh, a lot about the source material. They weren't they weren't like Kevin Feige in terms of like they weren't fans themselves and nerds themselves. And you don't have to be a nerd to run a studio, but I think it is it is important to kind of have some sort of established idea of these universes of these characters and I think as fans it gets us more excited knowing that we have somebody leading the charge that that understands fandom that understands culture and make no mistake that is that's what we have here with James Gunn and I like how they hired two people for this position two people to see the studio and the role here, let me actually, there's another article, there's another quote here that addresses the role. Um, and this once again comes from Variety. It says, Gunn and Saffron will now oversee film, TV, and animation at DC Studios. Before I continue, that's actually something else I want to note as well. DC has never been its own studio like Marvel has. Marvel has always been their own studio. Yes, they're owned by Disney, but they make all their creative decisions and they greenlight whatever project they want to do. Obviously, Disney is the distributor. Uh, I think that's how it works. Correct me if I'm wrong. But basically, they kind of have their own thing going while they're being owned by Bob Chapek and, and everybody upstairs at Disney. DC has never been like that. They've just been almost like a banner, one of the banners underneath Warner Brothers. But now, while they're going to be still obviously owned by Warner Brothers, they have their own studio so they can make those internal decisions on their own and it's going to feel more kind of collective and we're going to look at them more as a as a as a sole proprietor as a sole identity um but anyways the article continues where where did i leave off here uh they, okay so they will assume their new rules on november 1st today 
they will report to Warner Brothers Discovery President and CEO David Zaslav and will work closely with Mike DeLuca and Pam Abdi, co-chairpersons and CEOs of Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers Film Group, excuse me. Um, both are also expected to continue on other projects outside of DC. Now, I don't want people to get their hopes up. I, you could read that and think like, well, you know, James Gunn can still uh, do Marvel stuff. Um, I think this deal, and I think David Zaslav locking uh, Gunn up, uh, apparently the deal is reported to be four years long. Um, and they're calling it an exclusive deal. So while it does say here in this article that both are expected to continue to work on other projects outside of DC, I don't think when it comes to James Gunn, I'm not really sure about Peter Safran, but when it comes to James Gunn, I don't think that we're going to be seeing him doing any Marvel projects anytime soon. Maybe he'll get a producer credit for something. Like we, we see that a lot. It's very easy to get a producer credit. I mean, we've there's been stories of directors calling another director for advice and then boom, that's a producer credit. So maybe something as little as that, but even then I think that's definitely up for question. So if you're holding out hopes that you're going to see another James Gunn directed uh, project in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I would not hold your breath whatsoever. Like I said, maybe he could produce something, but even then I, I would just hold... I would just pause that and and, and 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 just treat that as if it's we've had the trilogy. Well, we're going to have the trilogy with James Gunn. We're going to have that third film coming out. But after that, I think that chapter is closed. I think him getting fired while they brought him back. But I think him getting fired definitely kind of uh, maybe affected that relationship. Not between Kevin Feige and James Gunn. Because I don't think Kevin Feige was the one that, that made that decision. Maybe he delivered that decision to James Gunn, but I don't think it was his idea to let him go over those tweets that happened a while ago, which I will admit those tweets were fucked up. I'm not, not going to sit here and say like, you know, they were pretty weird. <laughs> I'll just be totally honest with you. He made some, I can't even remember the, the exact jokes that he made. It was, it was something, it was something pretty fucked up, but I digress. They brought him back. We're getting the third Guardians film. I'm happy that we didn't get a different director. I'm happy that we still have the same tone and vision. As for my opinion on James Gunn, and I know a lot of you are probably, you know, wondering why I haven't addressed Peter Safran. I'm gonna I'm gonna get to him in a second, but I want to talk about James Gunn a little bit more. With James Gunn, I'm a pretty big fan of his films. Uh I I really, really love, in fact, I think Guardians of the Galaxy, in my opinion, is a top five MCU project. I think it's one of the best projects in the MCU, period. That side of Marvel, the cosmic, more fantasy side of that cinematic universe, that that's what I'm a big fan of, right? I like the street level stuff, you know, I'm looking forward to Daredevil, but for me, the larger than life, celestial, you know, uh, like I said, the cosmic side, that's my favorite side of the MCU. So I love that he was sort of, he sort of spearheaded that side of the MCU and he introduced us to that area with the Guardians and I like Guardians too. I think it's fun, uh, but I don't like it as much as the first film. It definitely plants some seeds. It kind of teases us that Adam Warlock is coming to the MCU, which we do know is going to be the the main. I'm pretty sure he's going to be the main antagonist of the third film coming up. So not a bad film, not as good as the first one. Uh, and Suicide Squad. Now, when it comes to that franchise, 
I'm not one of these people that hates David Ayer's version of the film. Now, I understand that he didn't get to show everything that he wanted to do. Apparently, the film was chopped to bits due to, you know, studio interference and whatnot. But still, I liked, I enjoyed that Suicide Squad, that first Suicide Squad film that we got directed by him. Um, And I'm actually one of these people that I kind of like Jared Leto's Joker, believe it or not. Is he the best Joker? No. But I, but I, that iteration and what they were going for, I think it worked for the cinematic universe. And I did not mind Jared Leto's Joker. I think it was different when you, just like Batman, just like any character that's, that's had reboots and different actors playing them. You have to find a way to separate it from the previous iteration. So a lot of people took issue with, you know, you're, 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 you're giving him tattoos and, and this, that, and the other, and you know, whatever. I can understand that, that concern. And I can understand that criticism, but in reality, the creators, the writers, David Ayer, they needed to do something that was going to separate itself from Heath, because you know that those comparisons are inevitable with 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 Jared Leto's Joker, and it's going to be like that forever. When Barry Keegan, when we get when we see more of him, because we will see more of him, obviously, as this new version of the Joker, we all know that the comparisons to Heath Ledger to Jack Nicholson, those are inherently going to come. Just like every time we get a new Batman, going to be compared to Christian Bale, going to be compared to Michael Keaton. It's just it's just it's part of the game, right? Um, so you have to find a way to make it different. And we're already seeing them try to do that with Barry Keegan. Not to get sidetracked, I'll get back to DC here for a sec. But with Barry Keegan, we're seeing his character has almost like a deformity in his face that that makes it so he can't not smile. And we're seeing he's kind of missing, he's like got patchy hair, patchy green hair. So they're already visually, stylistically doing things to his to this version of the character that Matt Reeves has built to separate it from Heath Ledger. And I'm glad that we're going with a shorter uh, haired Joker. I think we've had Heath Ledger. We've had the long haired Heath Ledger Joker. We've had Joaquin's long haired uh, Joker, which we will have again, but I'm glad that we're kind of going a little bit shorter here. But anyways, circling back to what the main topic here of today's podcast was, I'm a fan of James Gunn being the, I think he's being tapped as, uh, as the creative leader of DC studios. And then Peter Safran is going to be focusing on the producing side of it and the business side of it, which you have to think about that for a second. They have two guys to fill these roles, which makes sense, but that really is showing people how much of a genius and how one of a kind Kevin Feige is because he basically does both of those. He's an extremely, uh, uh, successful producer decades of experience going back to Sam Raimi and Spider-Man and, and, and the early Fox X-Men films to somebody that also understands what the fans want to see from a creative perspective. So you really kind of have to give your hat off to Kevin Feige, not saying he hasn't already had enough praise. The guy, he's not underrated in terms of his impact in, in what he does. We understand that, but I think it just, you further have to acknowledge like the fact that they got the DC got two people to fill that void when Marvel has had one guy pretty much do that. Obviously, he has help. He has uh, uh, Louis Desposito and, and uh, I can't remember the other uh, his other 
uh, he's got like Nate Moore and he's got all these other producers that obviously help him, but he's pretty much the main guy uh, that we look at as fans. So yeah, James Gunn, I'm a big fan of that. You know, he's expressed his excitement and his years of of fandom he's personally had for DC Comics. And we all know that James Gunn loves to explore characters that general audiences aren't very familiar with. Um, now I'm excited to see how he takes that approach with the main staple characters that we all, that most audiences are familiar with, like uh, Superman, like Batman, the Flash, because he's expressed in the past that he wants to stray away from telling stories of those main characters just because of, you know, the inherent criticism and backlash that comes with fans because there's there's so much pressure to do these characters justice and you're never going to please everybody. But now he can't really feel that way because now he's responsible for all these characters. So I'm sure we're going to get more projects of more obscure characters that a lot of people aren't familiar with in the DC universe. But now he's going to have to focus on our main character. So I'm excited to see how, what kind of decisions and creative ideas he has for them. So yeah, overall, big fan of James Gunn taking this job. Uh, and I think it's it's a, it's a thumbs up for sure. So let's address Peter Safran. So who is Peter Safran? He's a producer that's worked with James Gunn for many years. So they already have an established relationship. So it's, they're not going to have to get to know each other and build chemistry. It's almost like a it's almost like sports. You're bringing a new head coach or or you're bringing new free agents together. You, it's not going to take that time to build that together. They already know each other. They've already worked with each other. And one step further, Peter Safran has already worked with Warner Brothers for many years beyond the stuff that he's done with James Gunn. So let's see here. Uh, this comes from Variety. Safran has produced several DC films, including Aquaman and its upcoming film Shazam and its upcoming sequel, as well as, of course, The Suicide Squad with James Gunn and Peacemaker as well with James Gunn. His production company, The Safran Company, recently renewed its production deal with Warner Brothers. So, overall, to, to, to round out this topic, I think this is great for DC. I, I think it's definitely the right move. Especially since I was hearing some of the other names getting tossed around. Successful producers, but I was getting worried that, like, do these guys really know... Are they really tapped into the to the pop culture zeitgeist? Do they really understand what we as fans want to see? Because I feel like the previous ownership didn't. I feel like they were too prideful. They were taking way too many liberties. Um, they had Superman's sideline. I'm not the biggest fan of Superman, but I like Henry Cavill as Superman, right? So if we're going to have a Superman, I think it's the right decision to bring him back. Um who knows? Maybe we'll get something with Ben Affleck. Maybe I, apparently he's re-signed a multi-picture deal to return in in other characters' movies, not his own movie. But I think the future is looking bright, and it's nice to know that DC is now its own self-contained studio while still being under Warner Brothers. And I think this ten-year plan that David Zaslav has talked about, I think we're starting to slowly see it come to fruition. Let me know what you guys think about this. Are you a fan of James Gunn? Are you a fan of Peter Safran? And also, apparently, James Gunn will still direct some certain projects here and there. In fact, before this news came out, there was also reports and articles that James Gunn pitched a secret project in the DC universe. Uh, that's another thing as well. It's not called the DCEU anymore. It's now called the DC 
you. Once again, another way for them to separate themselves from the previous regime, from the previous Zack Snyder, you know, universe, uh, and, and and really telling everybody that still a lot of the same characters introduced back then, but we're having a fresh start. Let me know what you guys think about this down in the comments below. Okay, so let's address the title of this video. I'm going to now give my top five most anticipated films heading into this month. I think October was kind of a dry month. There was definitely some some things to be excited for. Black Adam. Uh, if you're a big Halloween fan, there was Halloween Ends. And there was a couple of other films that I might be forgetting. Uh, definitely a lot better than uh, September. September was dead. <laughs> you, you had a couple things. There's always a couple things that come out. But these last couple of months have been pretty uh pretty wanting in terms of you know big movies and, and fun movies to go see at the theater but there's a lot to look forward to this month some streaming some uh, theatrically and a couple of these films that i'm going to mention here on this list in fact actually i think a lot of them are streaming let me let me look at this one more time before a couple of these are going to go to streaming but they're going to get theatrical releases so anyways let's just get to it uh these are my top five films that I'm looking forward to in the month of November 2022. Number five, we have Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Um, I love biopics. I love Rocket Man. I love uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. I loved Elvis. Elvis is one of my favorite movies that came out this year. And uh, more specifically, I love biopics about artists, about musicians. Yeah, they may have a formulaic, you know, style of storytelling. You start off a lot of the, a lot of these films start off with the rise, like we see our characters at the rise, and then they sort of tell the story laterally, and we see how we see their downfall, and it's it's almost like a nonlinear storytelling, which is which isn't anything new. Um, but the thing that excites me about this film is that it seems to be uh, embracing a little bit more comedy in it. It, it, it. it looks funny while still having those dramatic elements to it. I'm not the biggest Weird Al fan. My dad, when I was younger, listened to a lot of his music. But me specifically, I'm not the biggest Weird Al fan myself. Uh, but once again, a biopic, that gets me excited. So that's my number five. Uh, number four, we have The Sun. And this stars. Uh, this is directed by Florian Zeller, who directed The Father, which won Best Picture a couple of years ago. Uh, actually, I think last, no, not last year, but the year before. I think it was at the 2020 Oscars that it won Best Picture. No, that was uh, Chloe Zhao's Nomadland. I can't remember. She, she, uh, he, excuse me, directed The Father, and I know that it won some kind of a Academy Award. And this stars Hugh Jackman, Laura Dern, and Anthony Hopkins. And a couple of other people, but I can't remember their names. And right there, right then and there, you have three Academy uh, recognized actors and actresses. Uh, I'm pretty sure Laura Dern has Academy Award. Either she's won or she has Academy recognition. But these are all, this is a very talented cast. Academy Award winning director. And basically, to me, what the plot of this film uh, is, is showing is that it's it's sort of a child. Well, sorry, excuse me. It's a teenager growing up and it seems like he's lost it seems like he might be developing some mental health issues and he's he's almost in search 
of a guardian of a sort of masculine presence in his life. And it seems like he's lived with his mom most of his life. And, and I feel like maybe he, he feels like he's lost time and he ha or he hasn't had enough time with his father. Uh, and maybe him living, maybe him living with his father could help him in some kind of way. I'm not entirely sure. I always do a bad job of explaining the, uh, <laughs> the plots to film. So if you really want to go see, I, I suggest you check out the trailer, but it looks very good. I went to TIFF, uh, this September, and this was one of the movies that I did try to see, uh, along with Glass Onion and a couple of others. Um, but I didn't get to see it. I, I ended up seeing the Fablements, which was, I cannot wait till audiences get to see the Fablemans. That movie was incredible, especially if you're somebody that's trying to become a filmmaker, not even just a filmmaker. If you want to get into, you know, the film industry, if you want to be an actor like me, or if you want to be anything, I think it still will resonate with you because it resonated with me. I don't want to necessarily be a filmmaker. I want to be an actor, but the film made me cry because I shared a lot of the sentiments that essentially it's, 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 the film was almost like an uh, autobiography. It's very autobiographical of Steven Spielberg without the character literally being Steven Spielberg. It's it's different characters, but it's it's the same kind of story, but not to get sidetracked. Uh, so, so yeah, number four, The Sun. Very much looking forward to that. Number three, we have another film that was at TIFF uh, called Causeway, which is directed by, I'm hopefully I don't mispronounce this too bad, uh, Leela Neusbauer. Um, not too familiar with her. Apparently she has a background in the theater and this is her directorial debut. And this is starring Jennifer Lawrence and uh, Brian Tyree Henry. And the, the sort of general plot is that Jennifer Lawrence is, was a soldier. She's returning back to her home in New Orleans. And I guess her time in the army, she suffered some kind of brain injury. Uh, it also looks like it's dealing with a lot of mental health matters, maybe some post-traumatic stress disorder. It might, might be playing into that. It seems like she's having a very difficult time readjusting to society, given her her obvious circumstance when she was uh, on tour. And throughout this film and, and throughout her time, her character finds a friend named Brian Ty Brian Tyrese Henry Henry's character, and it seems like maybe they share some similar experiences. Maybe he himself was a soldier, uh, and maybe there there's a, that sort of relatability. Um, but once again, it looks like a very grounded. Story. I love stories like this. I love these independent projects, and it's nice to see that. It's nice to see Jennifer Lawrence. I think she's a fantastic actress, and once again, another Academy Award winning actress. And Brian Tyree Henry, we're starting to see him pop up in more and more projects. I loved him in Bullet Train. I loved him in Eternals. Uh, I've heard a lot about that show he's in uh, with Lakeith Stanfield and uh, Donald Glover called Atlanta, which is a to my knowledge, it's about the kind of music industry and, and, and stuff like that. I do want to check that out at some point. So he's a fantastic actor. Uh, so that's my number three. Number two, we have Glass Onion, A Knives Out Story. So funny thing about this film. This is literally four. Yeah, these four films that I'm that I just talked about, all of them were at TIFF, uh, including Weird Al. Uh, and so was Glass Onion. Glass Onion, Glass Onion, and The Fablemans were basically like the two headliners. Those were the most popular films that everybody was trying to see. I was fortunate enough, like I said, to see The Fablemans, but I didn't get to see Glass Onion. Uh, however, I almost had the opportunity to see it for free right after. So I'm from Toronto. Obviously, TIFF is in Toronto. But yeah. Anyways, right after I saw The Fablemans, and I left the theater, and 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 I, I saw it at the Prince of Wales Theater, and right after I left the theater. Across the street, there was this another big auditorium. I can't remember the name of it, uh, but if, for those of you who 
who live in that area, you, you'll uh, you'll understand what I'm talking about. It's like this big, it's very beautiful architecture. It's like this big kind of glass domish building. It's it's a uh, it's it's a theater. Um, they were playing a screening of Glass Onion there, and you could get in for free if you had a Presto card. Uh, which is in Canada and in, in, in Toronto, that's basically like, it's like, a, it's like a pass you get to get on, you pay for you. It allows you to get on the train, allows you to, uh, to take the bus and all for free. I say that in air quotes, as long as you have a Presto card, you can still take the train you can still take the bus, but instead of paying that initial out of pocket, did my camera just shut off? Let me just check that real quick. No, we're, we're still rolling. Excuse me. We're still rolling. Pardon me. We're going to continue. Sometimes the camera makes a little bit of a sound. And when it does that, it means it's shut off because the camera can only record so long and on, uh, on each take. But we're, we're good. So, yeah, they had a free screening of Glass Onion if you had a Presto card. And the line was just down the fucking street. It was just from, 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 from the auditorium all the way past the Prince of Wales Theater. So, I would have waited in that line because I would have saw... The Fablemans, and I would have saw Glass Onion all in one day. Because uh, Glass Onion is getting a theatrical release, but it's very, very limited. It's like a one-week release here in Canada. And I think really across the world, uh, which makes sense. Obviously, Netflix threw $400 million for the rights. They want that. They want people to come to their platform to watch it. So, yeah. Uh, Glass Onion, for those of you who have no fucking idea what I'm talking about right now, this is... Uh, I, I guess you could call it a sequel. I'm just going to call it a spinoff uh, to Knives Out. And in Knives Out, we were introduced to Detective uh, Benoit Blanc, I think is his name, which is uh, Daniel Craig's character. And fans loved him so much and they loved that character so much that we were like, okay, like, what are some other stories we, we, we could see specifically with them? What are some other cases that he solved? And this is another, they're calling this literally Glass Onion, a Knives Out story. So it's not a direct sequel, at least to my knowledge. It's not a direct sequel to Knives Out. Like, we're not, I don't, we're, we're not going to see Chris Evans come back. We're not going to see Lakeith Stanfield's character come back. We're not going to see uh, Anna DeArmas. We're not going to see, you know, all, all those other characters from, from that, uh, uh, the woman from Halloween. We're not going to see them come back. At least I don't think so. Uh, so it's it's a whole new cast. We have Daniel Craig. He's I think he's the only one returning. Of course, obviously. We have Daniel Craig. We have Edward Norton. I love Edward Norton. Uh, Dave Bautista. Uh, by the way, Dave Bautista, I think, is, is, is honestly... I don't want to say he's an underrated actor. I think he's become a much better actor. And I think, I, I think people should start putting, giving him a little bit more credit because he obviously started off in the WWE scene and then transitioned to the big screen. Uh, and a lot of times those kind of actors aren't taken very serious. Uh, but I think he's made a pretty good career and he's worked with very, very auteur and, and very talented directors. He's worked with Denis Villeneuve. He had that brief role in Blade Runner 2049. And He's worked with Zack Snyder on uh, Army of the Dead, and of course he's done the Marvel stuff and with uh, with with uh, with James Gunn. But now we're seeing him with Ryan Johnson, another uh, very very talented auteur director. Um, so yeah, we have Dave Bautista, then we have Kate Hudson, then we have Ethan Hawke, love Ethan Hawke, Catherine Hahn, love Catherine Hahn, and then we have Janelle Monae, and then there's some others, but that that's like the main cast. That's my number two. I'm incredibly excited. I don't even really know. 
what the story is to this film. It's it's obviously some kind of mystery. It looks like it takes place on this yacht, on this island, who knows, but it's 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 going to be good. Number 1 I cheated. Number 1 is a tie between two films. One of them, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. The next film is called Bones and All directed by uh Luca Guadagnino, I, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. And this director, once again, another auteur. He, I'm pretty sure he wrote and directed Call Me By Your Name. He directed the Suspiria uh, remake in, in a couple years ago with the uh, actress who's going to be in Madame Web. I can't, uh, and I can't remember her name, but she's also from the Fifty Shades films. She's a good actress. Uh, he is an incredibly talented director, and I, he's one of those directors that, like, I, I'm waiting to see. I want to see him make more movies, right? Because He's just, he's got his own style. He's, he's found his own kind of, you know, lane, so to speak. And once again, Timothy Chalamet is coming back to work with him. We have Taylor Russell. And as for the, this looks like a very dark film. It, it seems to have some, it's based off a book. It seems to be about this, this dark, twisted romance between these two people that are cannibalistic. And it's like, it's, it's, it's wild. In fact, I feel like I'm not going to be doing it justice. Let me try and find a uh, plot synopsis here, bones and all synopsis. Um, love blossoms between a young woman on the margins of society and a disenfranchised drifter as they embark on a 3,000 mile odyssey through the back roads of America. However, despite their best efforts, all roads will lead back to their terrifying past and a final stand that will determine whether their love can survive their differences. Okay, so they didn't really address the cannibalism in that, but I think that's probably what it's referring to when it says, despite their best efforts, all roads lead back to a terrifying past. So yeah, uh, that was a much better <laughs> description than I couldn't have that I could have given you. Um, so yeah, I'm really, really excited for this film. And the trailer hooked me. The music, the song that they that they played in, and I have it on my phone. As soon as I heard it, so much of my music that I listen to, I hear from movies. Uh, what was the song here? Um, yeah, you want it darker. Here, I'll play a little. Yeah. Yeah. I won't play that for too long. It'll destroy the mic. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, the trailer was great. Uh, I've seen another clip of her, of Taylor Russell's character, literally chewing a girl's finger off it was gruesome but it looks i think the trailer literally quoted it was like a dark it's like a horrifying romance or i'm, I'm paraphrasing something like that but that looks incredible i cannot wait and i think that's got some academy uh recognition oscar bait if you will written all over that and then of course as I said, tied with Black Panther Wakanda Forever. There's not much I need to say about this film that I haven't that I haven't already said. Uh, so there's no point in me going on and on about it. We're all excited for it. We're all curious to see how they're going to address the the loss of T'Challa and 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 how you know Wakanda is vulnerable and 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 how you know they're 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 in a very kind of shell shocked space because you got to remember now they've lost T'Challa, but then. Not too long before that, they lost their initial, they lost to Chalice's father. So a lot of loss, a lot of grief, a lot of mourning. Well, they have to deal with Talokan, which is essentially Marvel's take on Atlantis. And they have to deal with Namor and, and everything else going on around them. So I'm super excited for that. I'm seeing that November 10th. I cannot wait. So yeah, that is my top five most anticipated films. 
going into this month. There's a couple others that I've, I was considering putting in here. Like there's a film called My Policeman that was also uh, at TIFF. And it's basically uh, about this love triangle uh, at the center of it being Harry Styles and 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 he's in love with this woman and then he he, he starts to develop uh I, I think it I think he's in a relationship and I think he's married with this woman but I think he starts to have an affair with this other gentleman so you know interesting I'll probably check it out it looks pretty intriguing but I don't think it has me as hooked as these other films did uh and I'm sure there's some others that I, I could be forgetting as well but let me know what your top five of this month is going to be and let me know if you're excited. Let me know if you feel the same about these films as I do. Let me know down in the comments below. So for the next topic, I want to talk about a follow Amazon TV series that's coming. Now, this isn't necessarily uh, news. Um, it's been in development for quite a while, but I just found out about it pretty recently. And in terms of my history with the follow franchise, now I, I don't play video games anymore. I, I've foregone that. Last year, I, I made a kind of made a I had a had a day where I just had a kind of like an audit, and, and and I asked myself like, what are some habits, or, or or what are some things that I'm doing that are potentially holding me back from being more productive, or or getting more things done, or that are holding me back from my potential? And I had to have a harsh reality check with myself and tell myself that video games is probably one of those, if not the biggest one. Not that I was addicted to video games, I wasn't. Um, but those few hours that I would play, whatever, Call of Duty, I could have been you know, dedicating that to working on the craft of acting, learning it. Because being an actor or trying to be an actor is one of the most competitive industries in this world. There's a reason why like 0.00001% of people get into this business so I have to find ways to separate myself from the competition in any way that I can. And if I can give myself more time to work on that and not just acting, I'm talking this podcasting, I'm talking other projects, you know, modeling, whatever. Uh, I have to make sacrifices, which is essentially what I did. Um, but with that being said, one of my favorite video games to play was Fallout. And for those of you who don't know what Fallout is, it's like this post-apocalyptic RPG game. It's it's a big open world experience. And each game takes place in a respective city in the United States. Like I think Fallout 3 took place in Washington. Fallout 4 took place in Boston. Uh, Fallout New Vegas, of course, takes place in Vegas and, and so on and so forth. I think 76, I never played that one. I think that one takes place in Virginia. Uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's an incredibly addicting game because there's always, there's always something new you can do even after you beat the main story, there's side quests, there's, I mean, there's lots of games that adopt that format, but Fallout for me is one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, you know, Call of Duty was one as well, but there's a new one that comes out every year. There's only a new Fallout every, like, there's only like one Fallout that comes out like each decade, really. Uh, and we're probably not going to see another one come out until maybe at the end of this decade, if not early 2030s, which, which which is crazy. And I will say, if there's ever going to be a time that I'm going to come back to video games briefly, it's not going to be for a new COD, it's not going to be for NBA 2K, it'll be when the new Fallout comes out. And I probably won't even play, I'll literally just buy it just to check it out, just just to see what it, what it is. Or I'll probably just watch somebody play it, who knows, but... 
yeah, I don't play video games anymore, but Fallout for me was one of those games when I did play a lot that I cherished and, and, and it holds a special place in my heart. I grew up, uh, my neighbor when I was like eight years old introduced me to it. I used to, I used to beg my mom to go to, to go to his house. And uh, I think at that time he had New Vegas and yeah, I was like eight or nine years old and, and, and my neighbor showed me it and, and he would show me, we, we would always play. If you've played Fallout New Vegas and you, you go to that town and you have to shoot the geckos with the rifle and you shoot like the bottles and you go through that little training sequence. That was the, that was my introduction to Fallout. That was the very first mission I played when I was just under 10 years old. And ever since then, I was a big fan of the franchise. Uh, and yeah, so there is a series. So I just wanted to explain, give you that little history to let you know that I'm a big fan of this franchise. Well, I don't play it anymore. I'm still interested in, 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 in hearing about news and stuff like this because I love film and television. So there, we're getting a series and we're getting it, uh, as an Amazon exclusive, which I'm a big fan of Amazon. I think Amazon has, has been producing a lot of pretty good content uh, lately, especially, you know, there's Rings of Power. I'm not a big Lord of the Rings fan, but I, I've heard that that series is pretty good. Uh, they have, I always draw blanks when I'm trying to remember things like this. Um, they have a lot of, they, don't, they have a lot of really good original content on both the film and television side. And uh, I'm not too sure when this is coming, but apparently this has been in development for quite a while now. Uh, and this, I'm going to actually read this article, a little snippet from comicbook.com. It kind of just talks about the development of this, of, this, of this game being translated into a series. So, after years and years of ideas and potential projects in development, uh, Follow is finally coming to the screen. Amazon Prime Video is adapting Bethesda's iconic video game franchise as a TV show. Uh, with Westworld creators Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy leading the charge. The long-awaited series is currently in production and a new video from Bethesda talking about Fallout's journey to the screen has shown fans a glimpse of the power armor on set. Yeah, that is, that's the video that I watched that then, that then kind of made me realize like, oh fuck, they're making a Fallout TV show. What a brilliant idea. And I've always thought in the past like, you know, this could be a cool movie and whatnot. But if you really think about it, I think this actually could be better fleshed out as a TV series because it's such a dense game. It's such a dense story. And there's so many stories and so many adaptations it could pull from because, I mean, in each Fallout game, there's always like four storylines you could go to because you have the Brotherhood of Steel, you have uh, the NCR, you have in Fallout 4, you have the Institute, you have... The railroad you have it's like there's so many so many different storylines and ways you can play the game there's not just like one main quest you can go down different branches and you, that's why it's such a replayable game and not only that you have the whole world you have everything you could explore so there is this whole franchise is just like fresh for adaptation on the big screen and on the small screen and television and i think while a movie could still be good I think a TV show is going to be pretty good as well. And I think it'll give them an opportunity to, like I said, to explore so many different storylines and give it that time and energy. Similar to what's happening with The Last of Us, right? The Last of Us, you could do that in a film, but they're going to fully explore that story and give it time to breathe so they're making it into a series. So, And speaking about the potential of it becoming a movie, I want to read another quote from that article, comicbook.com. And this is uh, Todd Howard speaking now. 
For those of you who don't know, Todd Howard is like kind of like the Kevin Feige of Bethesda. He's like the face of he's he's like the the guy you think of when you think of Bethesda if you're you know tapped in and 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 you're you pay attention to this kind of stuff. I think specifically his role here is Bethesda Studios studio executive producer. Um, and yeah, so he discusses how long this kind of project has been developing. And he said a lot of movie producers and stuff were like, "Hey, this would be a great movie." And for 10 years plus, we said no, just wasn't the right fit. So clearly, I wasn't the only one. And there were others, there were producers that were saying, dude, let's make this into a movie. And he waited, he said, not the time, not the place, not the medium to do this until finally we have, we can make this into a show. And it, what I find really interesting is that the person, aside from uh, uh, Lisa Joy, I'm not too familiar with her, to be honest, but aside from her, we have Jonathan Nolan, who is directing some of the series, and he's basically like the showrunner with Lisa Joy. And Jonathan Nolan is Christopher Nolan's brother. He he wrote, he's written many of Christopher Nolan's films. He, he helped him write uh, the Dark Knight trilogy, and, and he's pretty much been his writer on, on a lot of his other films that he's directed, along with, you know, Christopher Nolan writing as well, kind of co-writing their films. Um, so it's pretty cool to see that. And uh, yeah, the video was Jonathan Nolan talking. It almost looked like it was like a shoreside set uh, or, or, or a seaside set rather, there was some debris, some broken, uh, stuff around and you see, uh, somebody who's clearly in power armor reach out to Jonathan Nolan. Just, you just see the arm and he's holding a Nuka Cola bottle and he hands it. So it's nice little tease. Uh, I'm just so curious as to how, what they're going to do with death claws, but the, like I said, they're, there is so much opportunity for this, and this has me incredibly excited. If any of you have played Fallout, you know that the opportunity and the potential for this is, is the sky's the limit with how good this can be. So, yeah, uh, let me see if I address pretty much everything else here. Yeah, so let me know what you guys think. You know, are, are, even if you're, you've never played Fallout, does this sound like something that could be intriguing to you? I'm a huge fan of the, the post-apocalyptic... Uh, subgenre, if you will, you know, I, I just watched The Road for the first time a couple of weeks ago, dark fucking movie, by the way, but, uh, you know, even Zombieland to, you know, uh, to a lesser degree, like stuff like that. I love post-apocalyptic films. They're almost like cathartic in a way. You're usually just following one or few characters on this road, on this journey, and they're just trying to survive and, 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 you know, they're, they're not caught up and, what the, what the next person thinks about them on social media. Like I just, I enjoy simple, it's a very simple story, but it's like, I just, I, I love movies and projects like that. So, and I think fallout is going to be, I think this could be really, really good. And they released a still image recently and it looks very faithful to the game. We, we, we see, I think it's vault 33. Uh, we don't see any characters faces, but we see that their, their backs are facing us. And they have the vault, uh, the vault uniforms on. It looks very, very faithful to the game. And we see that the vault door is open, and you see a, you see a silhouette of someone who's clearly not, who's clearly coming from the outside world, exploring some kind of, you know, wastelander. Uh, you can see he's got a pit boy on, and he's clearly got some kind of armor on, and and he's he's somehow found a way in the vault. Whether they voluntarily let him in the vault, or he found his own way in the vault, so. Looks really exciting, and I'm definitely going to keep my eye on this, and as we get more updates, and once we get a trailer, 
I'll talk about it here on the podcast. So let me know what you guys think about this down in the comments below. So up next, we got some Marvel news. Doesn't ever seem to stop. I'm not complaining. I eat this shit up. I love the MCU. I'm, I'm an MCU apologist. I don't care what any of you say. I love this stuff. And when I hear about news, it gets me excited. It, it, even for projects that and, and characters that I'm not entirely familiar with, like the news we're about to cover here, just the fact that the MCU continues to grow and expand. We're introducing new characters, new walks of life. Uh, that excites me. So the news here is about, and you've probably already heard this, is about Wonder Man is a character from the comics. Uh, and before I talk about the news, I'm going to give you a little, little bit of a synopsis here, a little bit of a brief summary of who this character is because I had to do some research myself. Uh, and this comes from the Hollywood Reporter. It says, in the 1980s, the character, one, well, referring to Wonder Man, in the 1980s, the character really came into his own. Known as Simon Williams, he was a founding member of the Los Angeles-based West Coast Avengers and, with a look that included a turtleneck, red jacket, and sunglasses, became a celebrity thanks to his day job as an actor and stuntman. So, to me... That sounds pretty cool. And I think there's almost an opportunity, like there's almost like a meta opportunity here for this as well. Maybe we'll see that he's this very successful actor and he's he's acting alongside, you know, main staple actors that we're familiar with in today's society. So like I think there's some definitely some comedic opportunity for that and and and, and sort of some, you know, self-awareness to the audience. I think that would be pretty interesting as well. And as a stuntman. So Basically, he's a he's a superhero at night, and during the day he's an actor and a stuntman. So he's pretending to be other people while he's pretending to be a superhero. Could you imagine if he gets a role in this show and he's playing a superhero or or, or some kind of? I'm sure they'll have to make one up, uh, and then he's really a superhero in real life. I think there's that would be pretty funny and interesting. Uh, I'm not too sure what his powers are. Uh, but yeah, so the news is that, uh, and I'm going to try and pronounce this as best as I can. Yaya Abdul-Mateen II is tapped to lead Marvel Studios Wonder Man for Disney Plus. So he will be playing Wonder Man. And I think this is a great casting. I, I think Yaya Abdul-Mateen II is a fantastic actor. Go watch the trial of Chicago seven. I think is, is what the film's called. He had a, he had a small role in us. Uh, and then he he was the lead actor in Candyman, which I thought was a, it was a pretty enjoyable film. I think he was the best part of the film overall. Uh, but I think you know I, I think the film was okay, but I think his performance stood out uh, the most. Um, and he's a really really talented actor. Now I think it's interesting that he's you know he he's he's coming into the MCU. He's playing a superhero because he did an interview a little while back, and I don't, I, I think he was being a little coy, I think he was being a, a little humorous, and I think people might have taken it a little too serious, but he did say that, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something along the lines of comic book, you know, acting in comic book movies is clown work, I, I and, and he said that in some way, like I said, paraphrasing, but yeah, and a lot of people took offense to that, uh, it's, uh, it's definitely an interesting thing to say, um, but, uh, you know, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that I, I don't think he was being entirely serious. I mean, clearly he wasn't. He signed on to play a com another comic book character. So now he's he was a villain in the Aquaman film. I think I think his character's name I can't even remember his character's name. And now he's going to be a hero here in uh, in the MCU. But apparently this character was once, or apparently he started off as a villain 
and, and as an adversary to the Avengers, and apparently he ended up joining them. I could be wrong. Like I said, not uh, too uh, caught up to date with this character. I'm learning this, you know, as as as, as some of you might be as well. This is a new character to me. Um, but yeah, so pretty interesting. What do you think about this casting? And this is, like I said, for a Disney Plus series. Are you hoping that Marvel is starting to maybe learn from some of their lessons with the Disney Plus shows in Phase 4? I haven't been the biggest fan of a lot of them. And I feel like partially the issue with this with these Disney Plus shows is that they're not given enough time to flesh these characters out. And I doubt it's from a budget restraint perspective. Because this is Marvel, this is Disney we're talking here. I mean... You know, Disney's one of the most lucrative film studios out there today. Uh, and, and Marvel is, by extension, is no different from that. Marvel has made billions of dollars. Uh, so I, I don't think it's because of that. Um, yeah, this, this sort of six to nine episode format, I feel like it, it's worked for some shows. You know, give credit where credit is due. I think Loki, for me, is one of my favorite shows of the last couple of years. I loved Loki. I loved the TVA. So that six episode format, it worked for that. Uh, I, I, I'd say it worked for WandaVision with the nine episode format. But other than that, it's kind of been hit or miss. You know, with, with Falcon and Winter Soldier, with Moon Knight, some of these other characters uh, that I think would have benefited from having maybe another, maybe an extra one to two episodes, maybe even two to three episodes, I think would have helped. Especially Moon Knight. I feel like that Moon Knight finale just happened. Right, we had that fifth episode, which was a great episode, and then that sixth episode. Going into it, I was already kind of worried because I was like, "There's still so many questions that they haven't answered," and then it was just boom. Like we have, we have these gods, and we have all this other. It just yeah. And then at the very end, they introduced Jake Lockley as that third personality, which we kind of already, which we saw coming. But yeah, so. I think it's pretty exciting news, and, and, and I'm looking forward to hearing more uh, and, and, and getting that official word from Kevin Feige. Now, this came from The Hollywood Reporter and, and all the other trades, so if it comes from them, you know, you could pretty much consider it a done deal. Uh, but let me know what you guys think about this down in the comments below. That's going to wrap up episode 44 of Unbashful. If you stuck around for this long, I want to thank you very, very much, and if you want to show your support... Uh, you can like the video, subscribe. I would really, really appreciate it. This is a very up-and-coming channel. Uh, and, you know, any support, I will appreciate it. Of course, that's if you'd like to share your support. Um, but anyways, I'm not going to be one of those channels that sits here and begs for likes and subscribes. Uh, just you watching, that's enough support for me. So, anyways, guys, that's going to wrap it up. Thank you for watching and listening. I wish you all happy healthy, happiness, I just said happy and happiness, I just wish you all good health and everything in between, have a good night, have a good evening, good, good morning, wherever you are watching this, and I'll see you all on episode 45.